Good morning, Facebook Live. This is Pastor Eric Gross coming to you from Genoa, Illinois, inside my beautiful dining room. We have migrated from my office to the dining room, and so here we are. And this is what we're doing, and this is how we're doing it. And praise the Lord that we have these opportunities to do this, because this is definitely not something that I ever thought we'd be doing, but here we are, and we're doing it, and, and praise the Lord. It's great. So uh, just to start us off, a little bit here. I just want to briefly discuss some announcements and some community needs. The uh, Genoa Food Pantry still needs volunteers on a daily basis. People still need to eat. Who knew? You know, I thought the coronavirus coming means that everything else goes on hold, right? But no, that's really not the case. And so the Food Pantry still needs volunteers in town. We've put that resource on our uh, Facebook page so that you can see that, uh, as well as uh, we reached out to, you know, many different entities. We reached out to the city. We reached out to the school district. We reached out to the food pantry as well as uh, the VFW. It turns out that they're doing a blood drive and there's still plasma needs. And so um, the world didn't stop again. And so there's still blood needs that are out there. So if you're healthy and you feel well and uh, this is something that you're able to do, please consider doing it because... People still need blood despite the coronavirus too. And so another uh, kind of announcement, you know, just uh, want to encourage you all just to reach out to your neighbors, your friends, your family, anybody that you may know, and see if there's other tangible needs. Uh, I'll get into that here a little more in a second. And then just uh, briefly as the last part of, you know, the community needs and what's going on, just watching the community of Genoa work together on this and seeing, you know, restaurants and food vendors and grocery stores and the hardware store and everyone else work together. Uh, it's truly been a beautiful thing that's going on. So praise the Lord for all those needs that are going on within the community and uh, just how, you know, people have been able to meet that. So again, uh, food pantry volunteers consider giving blood. There was a blood drive at the VFW hall, plasma needs, uh, reach out to your neighbors if there are any tangible needs. And then, yeah, it's just been a beautiful thing. And so I also want to share with you during this announcement time, four awesome things that are going on as a result of this whole coronavirus pandemic uh, and just being online and social media, as well as the nature of the character. And so we see that the very first thing is that the gospel's going out so much more right now. And, it, and it's a completely beautiful thing because I did this Facebook Live last week. And, you know, we typically have somewhere, you know, in the low 30s, attendance, somewhere around there. But um, on these videos and things that are being posted, we're seeing 10 times more views and responses. And so I wonder, is there going to be a revival coming in the next coming months? Like this gospel that's going out because it also leads to number two, spiritual conversations are happening. People are much more real right now and willing to listen. Like, I know what you're thinking, like, oh, people are crazy right now. And I get that. But at the same time, I think people are being way more receptive to hearing the gospel. You know, it makes complete sense because anytime we're faced with our own mortality or our own helplessness, you're like, what am I doing here? What's going on? How's this going? And so the spiritual conversations that I've had this week have been so amazing. And I'm just like, praise the Lord. Like, I think we needed this in the sense that 
you know, people are being more real, more honest. And so the gospel is going out at least 10 times farther because of social media right now. The spiritual conversations that are happening are, are so much more real right now. And I have to tell you, people are gathering that haven't been gathering before. And that is a ridiculously beautiful thing, too. You have to know that I've led a Bible study every week for over six years. And this past Thursday, I just had one of the coolest Bible studies I've ever had. Why? Because I'm talking to a brother in California. I'm talking to a brother in Chicago. We're using Zoom and like the network has gotten huge and, and cool. And so I know the ladies are doing this tomorrow night. I'm so excited because like you can see and hang out and have conversations with people that uh, aren't in our immediate spheres of influence, you know, living local in Genoa. And so people gathering that haven't been able to gather before, like I, I, I love it. It's, it's again, one of the coolest things. I'm so excited for next week because I got a brother from New York. I got a brother from Florida wanting to come. I got, you know, a brother from Tennessee and I'm like, yes, it's awesome just to be able to hang out with, with all of you that way. And then lastly, the fourth awesome thing that I've seen as a result so far is that families are forced to be families. Um, there's complications with this too, make no mistake. But at the same time, you know, ever since the Industrial Revolution and the call for money, families have not been families. They, you know, there's been disjunct and, and figured. And so you're kind of forced to hang out together and you're kind of forced to be a family right now. And, and I want you to know that you need to give each other all a lot of grace and mercy in this because we're all different human beings. We're all exceedingly different. And the way that we process grief, the way that we process worry, the way that we process anxiety is completely different. And so it's awesome that we get to be together as a family right now, just the same as it's awesome that the gospel is going out. It's awesome that people are being real and that you can have real conversations because like, again, when you're faced with your own helplessness and mortality, like, you know, like people aren't fake as much as they are anymore like yes of course there's issues and problems but and again praise the lord that like bigger communities are being able to come together online like i'm so encouraged by just my brothers in other states as well as locally just getting together and hanging out like man praise the lord for that and of course praise the lord for the family unit you know to show uh here on earth a little bit of what our relationship with god is like as his sons and daughters and so uh, today, just so you know, we're, we're going over the Sermon on the Mount. It's the next part of our series, um, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 34, and it says, do not be anxious. And I'm like, is this coincidence that we're here at this time? No, it's not coincidence. I don't think there is coincidence. I do believe everything's transcended. And so this Going on in our sermon series is, is a good thing just for that fact, but I'd much rather do it in person, of course, because I get no feedback. I'm just a guy staring at myself, waving my hands, being a robot. Anyway, <laughs> all right. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this time. I just want to thank you for technology and just, uh, you know, your church, Lord, and of course what Jesus has done for us. But in these moments and in these challenges, how great it is that we can be together uh, as your sons and daughters online and go through your word and just uh, hopefully be an encouragement and a support to one another. Uh, I hope that we do have heart changes that are going on. I 
hope, Lord, that you do spawn a revival because the gospel's going out so much more right now online. And so as we approach your word, though, Lord, we need your help. We are spiritually broken, so we need your spirit to illuminate our hearts and our minds, to tune them to your will, that we may understand what your will is, and that we may lead our lives for your glory. It is all in Jesus' name that we forever pray. Amen. <clears throat> and so, because this is online, and because we're doing a uh, you know a sermon series, there's there's a lot that's happened. There's a lot that you haven't seen. So I'm going to try to catch a lot of you up that are online right now, uh, just very briefly. And so, in the introduction in the Gospel of Matthew, obviously we know that that this is all about Jesus, and, and it's the gospel. And so verses or chapters five through seven are the Sermon on the Mount. But what happens before that, and what you need to know is the whole uh, overarching theme of what the gospel of Matthew is, is summed up in verse uh, 21 of chapter one. They shall call his name Jesus because he will save their people from their sins. Everything else that we read in the rest of the Gospel of Matthew helps to prove and to paint that point. And so in the beginning of the Gospel, we see uh, from the first three chapters, Matthew uh, explaining the prophecy of the Old Testament and how Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy. We see that Jesus is indeed uh, the King and the Messiah. And what's beautiful um, about this and, and kind of the alliteration of what's going on in the world, like we're dealing with a pandemic of the coronavirus, but I, I feel like we've all missed the really big point that there's a pandemic of sin that has a 100% fatality rate. 100%. Like, everyone's dead. Dead in their sin, dead in their trespasses. And so we see that Jesus coming, he's the king in those first few chapters. And then we go to chapter 4 after he's been uh, tested by the devil, the three cardinal temptations, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and then the pride of life. Like, What's our real meaning of life? How have we made this God-centric about us? And so he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that's exactly kind of where we pick off in a sense, because now Jesus is going to give that Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5, and here we are at the end of chapter 6, but repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Like, it is here, it is currently here, and it's also not yet. It's not yet fully realized, but we're here and we're living in it right now in this moment. And so we see that there's two types of people, two types Throughout the whole Bible, there's two types of people. Maybe you've read about the Jews and the Gentiles. Maybe you've read about Israel and then every other nation that's out there. Uh, maybe you've read about the church and then the Gentiles as well. And so this is exactly what we have here in the Sermon on the Mount. We have the crowd and we have disciples. We have those who are God's people and then there's everyone else. And it's always been this way. Since, since the Old Testament and just Israel and the nations that would attack them as well as their, you know, city-states, so on and so forth. Always God's people and then there's everyone else. And so on the Sermon on the Mount, there are the crowds. There are those people who are looking for what can Jesus do for me? What can he do for me now? How can I live my best life now? Those kinds of peoples. And then there's the disciples. And we see that they were called in chapter 4, and they left their fishing boat. They left their father. They left everything behind. They turned 
from their own ways to follow Jesus. And that's exactly what a disciple is. It's a follower of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so it's dying to self in a sense. And then we went on and we talked about the Beatitudes and how those are the life-changing growth of the kingdom of God by the blessing of the Holy Spirit. This is uh, the Sermon on the Mount is as much as we have the direct declaration of independence as a country. This is the declaration of God's kingdom and God's purpose and, and what his life is going to be like. And we see in those first two uh, Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are those who mourn. Like there has to be this grappling uh, within us, that first part, the poor in spirit to understand that we are indeed spiritually dead and that there is nothing we can do to save ourselves. It is complete uh, faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his accomplished works that grant us salvation in the first place. And then as we continue to grow, then we mourn in sin. We see our own sin and then we see the brokenness in others. And you can see the brokenness all over the world right now. It's very clear to see. So this is another kind of good thing about a result so far is that, you know, in the gospel, there's really three components that there are. You need to understand the brokenness of man and the spiritual depravity of man. You need to absolutely understand the holiness of God and his standards and his level of perfection. And then you need to know the third thing, which was the plan of redemption. Like how do you reconcile a broken sinner with the holiness of God? And that is only done through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and his accomplished works. And we're going to touch on that here again in a second too. And so those beatitudes, that life-changing growth, that you will grow to be merciful, you will grow to be more pure in heart, you will grow to be a peacemaker, you will hunger and thirst for righteousness in Christ. Otherwise, we're out of Christ, and then we're just left to the you know situations and circumstances of the world and our own definitions for life. But those don't really have any solid answers or definitions of life. And so, uh, again, going back to scripture and seeing who God is, what he's done, who we are in light of who he is, um, all these things add to our worldview, if you will. And then we begin to see people differently. We begin to see nature differently. We begin to see just life in general differently uh, because we have different values and different purposes when we're tied with God rather than when we're just you know, willy nilly, what's, what's, what's your meaning for life? Is it money? Is it fame? Is it power? Is it relationships? Like the list goes on and on and on. You ask a bunch of different people, you get a bunch of different answers. And so here we are. And after the Beatitudes, the life-changing growth, Jesus absolutely confirms when he's talking about being salt and being light that you're going to be different. You're going to be different from the rest of the world. Uh, Paul explains it really well, too, in, in Philippians, that our citizenship is in heaven, and yet here we are. And so we are, as Christians, part of God's kingdom, both here now, what's going on in the world, as well as in the future tense of what's going on when we will be with God, like Revelation 21. God will be in our midst. He will be our God. There will be no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering, because we'll be with God. And everything will be perfect the way that it was supposed to be perfect. And so <clears throat> we're going to be different. Then we saw that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy and the law. In verse 5 through 17, um, 
Jesus talks about you need a righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees. And, you know, the scribes and the Pharisees at that time were your most religious rulers, your most religious leaders that you could possibly think about. And there, Jesus is like, well, you need more righteousness than them. And then he continues to call them out, you know, in a sense for their hypocrisy. Like, why are they doing what they're doing? But Jesus is the fulfillment, and he declares that he's the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets, which is also another way of describing the entirety of the Old Testament in which the three major religions of the world today use. So Jesus is fulfillment. And then uh, Jesus interpreted the heart motive behind the Old Testament law, because this whole, we need to be a savior and we need to see how it filled. People are like, well, I've never physically murdered or I've never physically adulterized or I've never you know, done any of these things. But the problem is, is that your heart has, you, you've thought about it in your mind. You are a murderer if you've ever hated someone. And honestly, like, who hasn't hated someone at some point in time in life? Like, people are, you know, it's, it's crazy. Like, and, and especially now in these very stressful times, like, it comes from the heart. It comes from the epicenter of who you are. And so we can see that there is a, a radical change and that if we've ever looked at someone, you know, inappropriately, we've committed adultery with them in our hearts too. So Jesus interpreted the heart motives behind the Old Testament laws as they were really described, as they were really made for righteous living. And again, these are changes that as we move on in our walks with Christ, you know, due to sanctification and the blessing of the Holy Spirit, like we are being transformed. We are changing into these things. We are growing in mercy we are growing in grace like uh galatians chapter 5 like we're growing in love in joy in peace in patience in kindness in goodness in faithfulness in gentleness and self-control and against such things there is no law whatsoever and again christ has filled all of these but it's our repentance and then our faith that allows us this opportunity to to be in the kingdom. So Jesus interpreted those heart motives. We realized that we're still breaking the law, not following God's commands um, by not glorifying him and by not, you know, uh, being kind to our neighbors. And so in this current situation that we're at, where we're trying to love our neighbors as ourselves, you can see that a lot of people just really don't care about anybody else but themselves. And that's really at the heart of the brokenness of man is that it's all about me, 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 myself and I, like, I'm going to do what I want to do. And if I got to step on you to get to where I want to do, then I'll do that. And I just don't care. And, and it's the egocentric human nature where the, the huge problem is. And, and, and as much as it works in like, look at me, look at me, it's, it works just as much in poor me, poor me, poor me, poor me, because that again is pride too, just the same. So, Jesus challenges our hypocrisy then, why we do what we do at the beginning of chapter six, uh, especially with our works, like when we're praying on street corners or if we're giving money, like do we need this attention? Are we trying to get, you know, look at me, look at me, look at me. Um, or he moves on to challenge us in the sense of materialism and kind of what's the meaning of life. And so here we are in the end of Matthew chapter 6 now, having briefly caught up, because that's a, that's a pretty big t 
10 minute plus introduction. Uh, but God challenges his sovereignty over everything and worry and anxiety. And is he worthy of trust and provision for our life? If we were to sum up chapter five of the Sermon on the Mount, it's called fulfillment, very simply fulfillment in Christ. In chapter six, we see father and we see that God does want an intimate relationship with his people and that the word heavenly father or the phrase heavenly father is used 12 times in the entirety of the chapter six. You can go through the Old Testament and you will not find 12 times where God is referred to in an intimate relationship as father. Uh, we will see him as father of creation, but not father as in family unit father and your father that loves you and cares for you. And so wants to challenge where we're getting our identity from. And I've said this before, and you need to hear it again. The word of God is indeed living and active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it pierces to the division of, of joint and marrow, of bone and spirit, of flesh. And then it discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And that's exactly where we're at today, is discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And that's probably a really good place to be at especially considering the world's current events and, and all that's going on and the current, uh, you know, staying inside. And so it's very weird. It's very different for a lot of people. I get it. Introverts are loving it. Extroverts hating it. Yada, yada. Uh, life is going to go on. I promise you one way or another. And we're going to come out stronger from this, you know, um, it just produces endurance, it produces character, it produces hope, and hope doesn't put us to shame because our hope is in Christ. And so, all right, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 34, let me read it for you. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And so we see ultimately that we're looking at a present and future trust-filled life in Christ. That's kind of the main idea. Um, this point one, just very simply taken from verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, you see that there's an imperative. You see, do not be anxious worry about your life. God says that just like God says, don't fear and other things. We need to learn to trust God. And so God challenges us here in meeting our demand for needs, just the same as God challenged us in uh, the last 
uh, section that we read, 19 through 24, where God challenges us to be like, well, who's your master? Is it your provisions? Is it your money? Or is it me? And so who in this time is our provider? Who really provides for his children and for the world in general? Is it God or is it us and ourselves? And so we see that imperative. Do not be anxious. And so God asked us a, a very simple rhetorical question. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Like the immediate response is, of course, yes, the body and life God has given me are worth more than, you know, the clothing and the food that are necessary to operate the body. And if God has given you life and a body, he certainly will give you food and clothing, right? Like it seems uh, rather rhetorical and, and easy to answer, if you will. But what about the people who are starving right now, Eric? Like there are people that are, you know, in homeless on the streets of Chicago, uh, this, you know, and in many different places that are starving. And so I, I, I question everyone in, in the sense that, like, did God fail or did man fail in a lot of these capacities? Like, yes, there is enough food on this planet for every human being that's on this planet. But at the same time, what role did sin play and the brokenness of man to perhaps hoard and be greedy with the food that's out there. And, and again, we see this exactly in our society right now as people are hoarding in stores and so on and so forth. And that people that, you know, are looking for simple needs are not able to get those simple needs. So we see that it's not God that has failed in these capacities. It's the brokenness of man that God has, has allowed to do these things at the same time. So we have a heart of greed versus a heart of gratitude in a sense uh, regarding uh, God's people versus, you know, the rest of the world, that there is this heart of, heart of greed, this heart of self that says, I'm going to get my fair share or, or what's the famous uh, Charlie Brown, uh, thing from Sally. Uh, Jennifer says this all the time. All I want is my fair share. All I want is what I have coming to me. <laughs> and that's exactly, again, the, the same point of kind of what we're making here. We worry, which means we, we don't trust in a sense. And so we're relying on ourselves to get these provisions because we're not trusting that, that God is indeed good in a sense. And so that heart of greed versus a heart of gratitude at the core of who we are and, and what we're doing. Uh, just understand that ultimately Jesus in this first sentence is calling for the disciples to live in the immediately daily trusting of God's care for your life. And so understanding, again, the, the culture and the history of what was going on, there wasn't a lot of, you know, money back then. The people that were following and listening to Jesus and the disciples, they, you know, the disciples gave up everything to go follow Jesus. They weren't really worried about the money and things. So maybe they did have a greater sense of trust. But for an outsider looking in, like that was exceedingly hard to do at that time. And it's not that different from today's age, too, just the same, because people do have a hard time thinking about uh, God. And the real reason is because they don't know God. They've got a, a false interpretation or a false um, understanding of who God is and the Lord is. And most people are like, oh, there's a big Santa Claus in the sky that's going to give me everything. And, and 
and you know make my life great but that's not what god promised you uh, again remember matthew chapter 1 verse 21 let's call his name jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins not that he's going to save his people from sins and then make them healthy and then make them wealthy and make them famous and all those other things like if that happens great but that's not a promise your promises of salvation and that's the most important thing in your life believe it or not i know some people are scoffing at this right now but i'm telling you like there's the pandemic going on right now of the coronavirus but there's been a pandemic going on for centuries called sin and it kills a hundred percent of the people on this planet lest they be found in christ lest they have the imparted righteousness of our lord and savior jesus christ for when they stand on that judgment day and so again consider especially in this passage like is not life more than food and the body more than clothing you know maybe what is your life but i want you to rest easy on this and especially considering a present and future trust-filled life in christ god is always in control and god is always trustworthy you always always his way is indeed the right way and his way is indeed good there is that element of sin here but god can use the bad for good because we know that for those who love god all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose and so moving on in this passage, we see that I think we've got a pretty good grasp that life is more than food and the body's more than clothing. So Jesus gives us the first reason to not worry. And that is consider God's care for his creatures, not just us as human beings, but his creatures in general. So we see, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And you could use so many other different examples. Consider the fish of the sea. Consider all the land animals. You've got birds of the air in here. You know, all these different creatures that are, you know, doing their part, doing what they know they need to do. And this kind of ties into that first point. Um, the point is, is when the disciples are responsible to carry out the proper ways of living as ordained by God, God will in turn be faithful and trustworthy to fulfill his end of the order of life. And so birds, they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns, but they go out and they get food for their young, right? They, they go and they build nests, right? They, they do their part of what they were created to do in a sense, and God fulfills the other half of that. And God, you can see, has done amazing things. Like I look out my window all the time here and uh, just viewing the beauty of creation and his glory. And I keep thinking back a lot of times to the very first thing, behold, God's glory down to the blades of grass. And I'm like, oh, the blades of grass, what a joke. Like you got to mow it, you got to water it, you got to fertilize it like how is this glory but when you see life differently in christ like even the way that a blade of grass is made definitely brings god glory and so we see that in all of creation in all of nature you know the birds of the air the fish of the sea so on and so forth that god is sovereign over feeding them and so he asked another rhetorical question like are you not of more value than they and, and the answer is obvious. Um, yes, we are more value than they. But for some people, I don't know that they know that or believe that or even trust that. So if you were to go back to Genesis, the very first chapters, 
chapters one and chapter two, you see two very important reasons why human beings are of more value than they. One, we're the only uh, creature on this planet that's created in the image of God, not in physical likeness, likeness or looking you know, like him, but the emotional character of who we are, as well as the spiritual character of who we are, as well as the moral character of who we are. And that's being created in the image of God. And then the second one is that God gave man dominion over all of life. And so ask yourself, is not man the top of the food chain in this world? And I'd be surprised if anyone said, no, we're not. And because we are. We're the ones that kill and take and plunder. We're the ones that are busy destroying this planet rather than uh, building it up and glorifying it. And so, but the biggest take out of all this um, is not responsibility or things of that, but that God is indeed sovereign over food and over sustenance of life. Like when you do look and you do consider, you know, all of creation and all of life, like they intrinsically know to go and hunt and to go and feed themselves. Just like we as humans know we need to work in order to earn money, in order to feed ourselves, in order to support our families. Like, and so the question always becomes, uh, especially for those people, are they doing their part? Is it the sin of them? Is it the sin of someone else that's holding them back? Because there's third world countries that are, you know, run by dictators that are greedy and are hoarding everything and their people are starving and they don't care as long as they have what they have. And, and again, the, the, the pandemic of sin and the tragedy of sin to not build each other up and to not love one another, um, big problem and so praise be to god that he's changing that in the lives and the hearts of his children and believers as we continue to go out and just you know love god and, and love others so we come to the next part verse 27.3 god is creator of life as we know it and so and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life i don't know who can you know, like, here's the foundational question, right? What is your life? Um, ultimately, like, what's your what's your purpose and your meaning of life? James says that in, in his, um, you know, talk about it in Job, talk about it in a lot of other scriptures. But think about it in, in terms of just very simply who you are. Did you decide when and how you were going to be born? Did you ultimately decide when and how you will die? You know, there are extraneous, you know, circumstances and especially people will be like, oh, what about what about suicide? And it's like, well, you're still dodging the question. Like if if your life was to live a normal course, aside from, you know, the, the idea of taking your own life, then you ultimately don't decide when and how you die. Right. And so maybe at the brass roots of everything that we're at, like we need to think about how much. And how really are we going to be in control? So does worry help us? Like fear, I told last week, you know, there's there's healthy fear. There's awe and reverence for God as well as a respect and understanding for his wrath and anger. And then there's also a very unhealthy fear where we worry about, you know, these things, these life things, more so than seeing the big picture. And now I give all of them respect and every situation's different. And, and of course, we can talk on a, you know, one-to-one -one basis, but... 
in in kind of this generalization god is creator god you know ordains life he ordains death and everything else in it so god is indeed sovereign over life and over death and there's not anything we can do you know to prolong our life as, as well as you know decide when we're going to be born so the decisions that we have the weights and the measures that we look at and, and what our purposes for life are like need to understand need to learn to trust that god is indeed sovereign over life and over death and especially in regards to the the pandemic of sin because it's it's a hundred percent mortality rate like don't mess around with that and so uh point four uh god provides grace and tangible needs verses 28 to 30 in this uh it says and why are you anxious about clothing Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So, just stopping there, God gives us the second reason not to worry, to consider how the lilies grow. You know, culturally, what's going on on the mount, like this was a great example. Jesus could probably just look right to his right because he's on the Sermon on the Mount and be like, look at these flowers. Like these flowers are amazing. And consider Solomon. Consider Solomon, who is the king who had it all, who had more money than you could think about, more wisdom than all the other rulers, more possessions, more everything. But Solomon was not arrayed like one of these lilies. He was not as beautiful as one of these lilies. And so really think about this, and especially this would have been a great example last week's uh, sermon too, is that the more that we have, the more stress, anxiety, and worry that that brings. You know, the people that make a lot of money, that, you know, buy a lot of things, that need to upkeep a lot of things, that's just more anxiety and stress. You get certain, like, standard of living you're really locked into that job like you might hate it but you know at the same time like what happens if you lose that job well you lose your standard of living because you raise your standard of living and you've created yourself a whole lot of stress and anxiety like i'm not saying go sell all your possessions and there's certainly no extremes in any of this but just cause to think just cause to think about what is that worth really worth to me in that and that god's grace provides all of our tangible needs as well as our spiritual needs like again if we stopped and we looked and we smelled the roses we would see god's provision for tangible needs in nature as well as god's provision for tangible needs in human life so if you were to see and look at the contrast then that's exactly what jesus is saying to see the contrast between God's splendor and glory in creation, and then go look at the contrast of man's self-splendor and self-glorification with clothes, materialism, and things of that nature, you will see very different, very, very, very different, um, you know, uh, reasoning behind this. And so, if we stopped and smelled those roses, it's clear to see that God's splendor and God's provision far outweigh what man tries to do in his own splendor and his own provision. Um, 
there's so many good examples, but God is indeed sovereign over personal growth as well as tangible needs. And so that's a fact too. Point five, verses 31 to 32, God knows and cares about our needs. This is the third reason why disciples are not to worry is because worry is the pattern for unbelievers who do not understand the Father's care for them. So you see that clearly in the world right now. And so we see that in the world, again, that there's a lot of worry. There's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of frustration. There's not near as much mercy and grace as there needs to be out there in the world right now. And so where are these people going? Like, it, are we surprised by their response? Odds are no, we're not surprised by their response at all. This is pretty normal that people are going to worry. It's it's the pattern for people. I don't know. It's the fear of uncertainty, right? You know, like, I don't know where I'm going to get my next meal from. I don't know any of these things. But God knows, and God indeed cares. And that's clearly evident in the world right now, too. And so think about this and think about <clears throat> uh, just these anxieties in general and then think about how we as brothers and sisters in the lord can separate ourselves um and and be salt and light and be different and so an absence of unhealthy anxiety derives so you know unhealthy anxiety like to not have unhealthy anxiety we need to have an appropriate and healthy understanding of god's provision God's design for responsibilities and priorities of life. And so God is sovereign over believers and unbelievers like all of creation. You know, um, so many times uh, I hear this, like this, this famous question, like, why does God allow bad things happen to good people? And there are so many issues and problems with that question and that statement. First, you need a proper definition of bad that's not subjective to your own situations and circumstances. Second, you need a, a, a you you need an objective view of what good is, and the only objective view that we have of what good is is what Scripture says and describes as a holy and righteous God, because otherwise we're left to define good by our own situations and circumstances. And then at that same time, um, and understanding the good and the bad and, you know, why these situations allow to happen. Um, you know, I understand that, that people want an end to sin and, you know, some of these atrocities and this question really kind of stemmed from Matthew chapter two, when Herod decided to kill all the babies and you're like, well, why didn't God stop that? You need to understand that if, if you really want God to stop, you know, allowing people to, you know, be people in a sense that he needs to take out every single human being on this planet. And that means you and me as well, uh, because we are all sinners. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Um, and that's, that's the real angle that people need to look at for that question because god indeed knows and cares about our needs there is indeed common grace you know for believers and unbelievers alike and god is indeed sovereign over all of these situations and circumstances but i fear that a lot of people don't rightly see sin as the slave master that it is because everybody's bent to their own way, to their own situations and circumstances whereas the only objective the only good 
you know, viewpoint that we could have, because if I am watching right now, what's your definition of good, there'd be a lot of similarities, but there'd be, you know, differences in every single person too, because we've all led different lives and all had different experiences in our lives that lead us to define what good is and what bad is. So just understand, like, if, if you don't want to see sin anymore, understand that God needs to wipe out the entire planet. And so asking that question doesn't really make a lot of sense because like we should all just be dead then. And, and that's exactly where we're all going, except that God in his grace and his mercy decided to send his son to, to save us in a sense, to be that propitiation for our sins, to be that once for all atonement uh, on our half that if we, you know, bow the knee and submit to the Lord most high, like if God grants you repentance that leads to the knowledge of the truth, you take it and you run and you run with it, man, because it's the most important thing in your life. The most important thing. And so God knows and cares about all of our needs. God knows and cares about everything. We could go talk about the omnis at this point too, but I see I've been, you know, kind of rambling for 45 minutes here. Uh, but praise the Lord. Again, this is so much fun. Uh, point six, uh, verse 33, our present uh, reality is disciples. And so your heavenly father knows and need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And so uh, I'm sorry if you haven't like heard, you know, the sermons in the past, but this is a huge bridge and a huge gap of what Jesus has been saying all along in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, first off, you need to know that seek does not mean to look or to find for something. Uh, because, again, Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Like you don't need to look for the kingdom of heaven. It's here. Jesus is here. This, this is all here. God's people are indeed here. And, and you can see them in these trials and challenges that are going on in the world right now. But what seek does mean is to make the kingdom of heaven the center of our values and priorities, but to put God first in everything that we do. Uh, I think Paul, I like how he says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And so how would you do it to the glory of God? Well, you have to understand his righteousness and his kingdom if you want to glorify your father who's in heaven. Um, and then going back in, in the sermon here, going back to chapter 5, uh, this being part of our present reality, uh, especially to understand the righteousness, seek first you know, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Go back to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so this is what we call imputed righteousness. This is where Christ did that switch for us, right? This is where the gospel really plays into effect um, because we're seeking that type of righteousness, right? We're seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness. So if you were to go down in Matthew chapter 5, you see verse heaven or 48 where that says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Okay, that's really hard, right? <laughs> like, let's be real. Like, there's no perfection this side of heaven. Like, many people are striving for it and trying to attain it, but that's just not going to happen. And so this whole you, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Again, 
Go back, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then you go back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Like, see in all of this the imputed righteousness that 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 Christ has given us. See the imparted righteousness in the in the passage you therefore must be perfect understand that that's where we're going and then that's the type of righteousness that god requires because he is holy he's holy 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 is the whole lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory and so praise the lord that you know we can seek that type of righteousness and begin to understand that because the the righteousness that you see here on earth is not so right and again jesus said it too Take your most religious, your most pious people, and you're going to need to have more righteousness than them because they're just a big bunch of hypocrites and phonies, and their hearts aren't in it for the right reasons. And 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 again, you see that in today's world too. You see a bunch of empty, you know, religion that really doesn't mean anything. Like let's recite, you know, the Lord's prayer. That might mean something. Let's do this because this is a work. Like it's always, always, always with Christ about heart and lives always and that you cannot you know circumvent your works that you do have nothing to do with earning righteousness before god your works are an outpouring of the love that christ has been given you that you've received that you've acknowledged and that you've changed uh in time or really god's changed you in time like i'm a great example of that like i used to think people that went to church were were lemmings and didn't know how to think for themselves and yet here i am on facebook live you know in 2020 you know preaching a sermon on god like man again if you told me that eight years ago nine years ago i'd, I'd just laugh in your face be like who do you think you are like i would never do that but jesus changes lives i'm here let's do it like the kingdom of God is at hand. Let's repent. Let's attack this pandemic of sin and stop worrying about, you know, these other extracurricular life affairs that are going on, you know, in, in our lives. And so when the disciples grow to pursue God's kingdom and his righteousness in their daily priorities and activities, they will have all of their needs met by their ever caring, ever loving, ever watching heavenly father. And that plays out in the all these things will be given to you as well. And so you come to the end of the chapter there. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And, and that's true. And so, therefore, learned reliance on God's care for present needs, right, for present needs, will cause us as his disciples to develop a trust in him for future needs as well. There is no need for us to idolatrize worry, even though we have a, a natural human tendency to substitute despair and hopelessness or fear in the place of God and turn to our own efforts at trying to control our environment and our situation. But I want to remind you again that God's sovereign over everything and that he is aware of everything that's going on in your life and the people watching this lives and the rest of the things that are going on in this world and so people worry themselves sick right now with a feeling of helplessness and again is that surprising no not really uh consider the current coronavirus pandemic 
you know, there's people hoarding, there's people being selfish, there's people feeling helpless and, and, and rightly so, because we're not as strong or as self-sufficient as we think we are. But consider this too, consider the current pandemic of sin in the world that has ravaged people for centuries. And so you have people coveting, you have people idolizing, you have people being selfish, you have people being egocentric. And, and it's really interesting because now you freak out because now you notice people that are acting, you know, poorly or right away. It's almost been amplified, right? That people are behaving in this way. And that doesn't make any, any sense why now this is a big deal when before and always it's been a big deal. But like, oh, now people are hoarding things in stores. I'm going to hate mail online and write posts and text it and this, that, and the other. And it doesn't make any sense why, why we do that. But again, Christ Jesus has come to save sinners. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament law, as well as the Old Testament prophecy of who the Messiah is and what he's going to do. And in this broken world, um, you see that right now there's, there's no cure for a virus, but there's a cure for sin. And that cure for sin is only found in the person and character of Jesus Christ, who lived that perfect sinless life on our behalf, because we can't. We read the Sermon on the Mount and we're like, yeah, that's not me. I can't do that. But Jesus changes lives. Jesus changes hearts. He turns a hard stone to a hard flesh. And again, like many people are great examples of this. But Jesus has done this. And Jesus will continue to do this. And he's the one that saves sinners. And sin is the greatest pandemic that we have ever experienced on this planet. These other diseases, they come, they go. Some people die. Some people live. Life goes on. But know that this is God's world and God has a plan for this world and this earth isn't going to last forever. And so there will be a time and every human being on this planet will have a judgment day and they'll be like, and God will be like, well, why should I let you into heaven? And the truth of the matter is, is that as a, a human being standing on your own merit and your own effort, God shouldn't and God won't because you're not holy. <laughs> you're not righteous and you're not good. Your heart and your mind lead you astray every single day of your life. But when we're sitting there at that same time and we acknowledge the merit of Christ and him living that sinless perfect life, him atoning for our sins, that we can, we can say, God, I indeed am not good enough, but my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is good enough on my behalf. And that's the gospel. And that's where we're at in this current day and age. And I want to see people's lives changed because of the real gospel, not because of the health and wealth gospel. The gospel that takes broken men and broken women uh, that are lost and that are at their last wit. And their lives change for the better. You know, I'm not promising sunshine and, and rainbows and, you know, unicorns and all this other jazz. But at the same time, like your life will be different and your life will be so much more full than it's ever been. It's not going to be empty materialism. It's not going to be empty in worry and anxiety. It's going to be full of people and life and real life and opportunities to serve others and opportunities to love others. And so fulfillment in Christ to change the hearts of his church, his children to be comforted and conformed 
to his likeness. Jesus paid it all, and ultimately, what does he require of us? And so, again, if God grants you the opportunity to repent and, and to believe, you take that and you run because it is the greatest thing that you can have in your life is a life in Christ. If you're looking for, you know, possessions, you know, understand and look at Solomon and look at these people that have so many things. Like it's just more work. It's more anxiety. It's more stress. But with God, if he grants you that repentance that leads to a knowledge of the truth, you will see rightly who God is. You will see rightly hitch righteousness. You will see nature differently. You will see human beings differently. You will see and understand what love really is, that it's not lust, that it's sacrificial, you know, giving of self, and that you're no longer living the self, you're living a life for other people and a life for Christ. And so I, I hope and I pray to see that I, I'm excited. Again, those those four changes that are going on, the gospel going out, these conversations that are being real, um, you know, just people getting together from, you know, multiple states and avenues. And it's just a really, really, really beautiful thing what God's doing right now. And it's the greatest message I can give you is that God is indeed sovereign over all this. And I can see his kingdom advancing. And it's exciting, exciting stuff. Like, let's do it. Let's roll. Let's go. I'm ready. Like, Praise the Lord. So, uh, dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this time. I just thank you for all of my friends and family that I know. And I thank you for your church and just, uh, you know, the beloved saints that continue to uh, encourage me. Uh, sometimes they don't always encourage and can be a distraction. But, Lord, I still love them. And I still see, you know, the brokenness of man. I still see the holiness of God in this. And I understand the, the plan of reconciliation and the redemption that Christ has has done within our lives. And so, Lord, just bless whoever hears this message. Allow them the opportunity or the spirit to reach out, to ask questions, to just find out more about the person and character of Christ uh, and the centrality that he is within our lives. And so, of course, in your saints too, Lord, continue to build up this trust, continue to build up this faith, continue to allow them to see that you are in absolute control right now as always in any and every situation and that should bring us comfort it should bring us joy and there should be a peace within our lives so lord uh just bless us just bless those people that hear these messages and lord let your revival happen all this i will forever pray in my lord and savior jesus name amen all right. Grace and peace to you, brothers and sisters. Uh, I love it. Thank you for being a part of uh, this morning. And it's only going to get better from here. Maybe next week I'll uh, have a different background and I'll pretend to be in China or I'll pretend to be in Russia or something like that just for fun. So love you guys. Take care. Peace. Maybe. It, it, it really doesn't want to stop. I guess I'll just keep going. Like, seriously, it's still not shutting off. Like, come on now. Okay, maybe I will just use the...
Hey, Jennifer, your 